everything that was over at Lambert Clausey right over here. So you should be able to find everything uh, relatively clearly. The concession stand is open for the 1015, uh, so you can buy coffee and tea and, and that. Uh, if, you, if you decide to switch and go to the 9 a.m., we'll, we'll do it for free for you, okay, to try and encourage the early morning uh, service. But uh, welcome, and remember, on a day like today, where it's starting to, uh, to snow and the season's uh, changing, uh, we do have uh, fully subsidized parking downstairs uh, underground. So uh, it's a really, really nice perk to be able to leave your coat in your car, so to speak, and take the elevator upstairs and come in for the service. We are one church in uh, two languages, in the three locations, in four services, and 1,000 people. So that's what's happening on Sunday morning. And as has been mentioned before, the church is not this building. Uh, the church is the people who I'm looking at. Uh, when, when Jesus returns, he's not looking for buildings, amen? He, he's looking for people. We're not going to go, wow, look at that building going up into the sky. It's a really nice building. Uh, no, we're, he's coming for people. So on that note, uh, we're talking uh, in the series on this theme of transformation. And uh, we're going to challenge you a little bit. Last week, you learned from Pastor Bill, what is the Christian's job? Uh, and he even gave out a little job description uh, at the end there. I've heard very good things about that. And uh, so last week I was at the Lighthouse talking about what's my job. So I'm going to talk about that with you today. Uh, some of you could care less. Are there any pastors in the room? So you say, well, why are you talking about your job, pastor? Who cares? Well, if you, if you have a misconception as to what the role of the pastor is, then you're going to have a misconception as to what your role is, and then you're just going to be frustrated because you're going to have odd expectations and, and kind of things built on tradition rather than on the Scripture, and you're going to be kind of a frustrated believer. And uh, if the church is going to grow, we need to understand uh, these different roles. And the church is a community. It's a community of transformation, uh, transforming itself into the likeness of Christ and transforming the culture that it's in. Uh, so today we're going to talk about what is the role of the pastor. And I'm going to address it with, oh, they're waving the, the offering baskets at me. Yeah. Is it okay if we take an offering? Yeah, well, you better say yes to that. So go ahead and go ahead and thank you for your giving in advance. Thank you for letting me know. I'm a, but a humble pastor with a poor memory. So, uh, and thank you for your giving. And those of you who are new with us, we have all the electronic methods in place. Uh, we have a point-of-sale machine out in the, in the foyer. You can give through our church website online. You can give through your bank online. And next week, we're going to unveil the latest method of giving. It's going to blow you away next Sunday morning. I used it this week. I am so excited about this way that we can give to God's work. We're going to launch it next Sunday morning. Uh, so thank you for your giving. Now, the pastor uh, in different roles, different faces we're going to talk about today. And I'm going to tell you the, the myth that people have in their minds and then what the scripture has to say about it. So number one, the pastor as prophet, the pastor as prophet. And the myth here is that the pastor is the sort of spiritual magician of the church. So the pastor predicts the future, operates in the supernatural at all times, sort of a Christian crystal ball reader 
uh, and very kind of supernatural in his or her uh, methods. And uh, this is not really what we see in the scripture at all. When we talk about this role of prophet, we see that prophecy comes in two forms in the scripture. To be sure, we have the kind of predictive element where the future is foretold. But most of prophecy in the Bible is not that. Most of prophecy in the Bible is declaring what God says. It's the proclamation, the public proclamation of the mind of God on a particular matter. Uh, Forthtelling rather than foretelling. And so uh, uh, when the pastor proclaims the scripture, uh, stands up and proclaims the word of God, this is in its essence prophecy. It can be argued that the entire Bible is prophecy because it is the word of God. And the primary role of the pastor is to stand up and publicly declare it. Second Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, Paul is writing to young pastor Timothy there who was uh, in charge of the church at Ephesus. Uh, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and who will judge the dead and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge, Timothy. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season. Be prepared out of season, whether the people want to hear it or they don't, whether it's cold outside or it isn't, whether you're meeting in a cineplex or an oratory, preach the word in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience, with careful instruction, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. The public proclamation of the word of God. So, so important uh, for the pastor to do. It's non-negotiable. So the pastor brings the word of God to the people. When our small team was in Zambia on your behalf, helping to build that house uh, as part of an orphanage in western Zambia, we learned very, very quickly the challenges that they have there in terms of the role of the pastor. There the pastor is revered uh, in, a, in a sense that can be very destructive. Uh, people carry the pastor's Bible for the pastor. Anything that the pastor says goes. And often in that culture, pastors are taking advantage of their people, manipulating them, hurting them, because this conception is all wrong. They view the pastor as the magician, the sort of Christian crystal ball reader, and the scripture uh, is very opposite to that. Number two, the pastor as priest. The pastor as priest. And the myth here is that your relationship with God depends on your relationship with the pastor. So the pastor is the mediator, the mediator, mediator between you and God. Uh, this, a lot of this comes from Roman Catholic theology and tradition. Uh, so you better be friends with the pastor. Because if you're friends with the pastor, you're good with God. 
And this is a false idea. In the scripture, the role of the priest is completely opposite. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13. You can dislike your pastor and be a great Christian. You know that, eh? I hope you don't dislike your pastors, but you can. Hebrews chapter 13. Have confidence in your leaders. I hope you do. And submit to their authority. It's clear in the context. It's talking about spiritual leaders there. Because they keep watch over you. They keep watch over you as those who must give an account. We are those who must give an account for you. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Whereas the prophet brings the word of God to the people, the priest brings uh, the people to God and stands before God and says, Here are your people, God. Uh, And the pastor is in some measure accountable for the people who the pastor has led. We will stand account for your lives. It doesn't say exactly to what degree, but is the church healthy? Are the people growing? Are they maturing? Are they learning? If they are not, guess who's accountable? The leadership is. And the pastor stands in that priestly role taking account for the people. Uh, He or she is not responsible for your relationship with God, but we lead you. We lead you and hope that you will grow. And for that, we are responsible. Any of you want to be a pastor? Hopefully by the end of this message, there'll be one or two, you know, maybe. Number three, the pastor as protector. The pastor as protector. And the myth here is that the pastor must be a totally politically correct figure, always pleasing people, never able to confront, never able to stand up and say no, never able to protect people in the church from those who would harm them or lead them astray. Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 28. Paul is talking to a group of uh, elders there in Ephesus again, and they're very much like pastors in that context. And it's the last time he will ever see them in his life. He's headed off to Rome. It's a very emotional moment there in Acts chapter 20, and he's pleading with them. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come. This is the first century. Will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. He's pleading with them. Watch out. People are going to come from within the church. And try and lead people astray. They will hurt them spiritually. They will destroy their lives like savage wolves, wild animals. He uses that metaphor. I've been in this church for 24 years. Uh, 14 of them, or this is my 14th year as a pastor in this church. And when you hang around long enough, you see a lot of things. And I can tell you that what, what Paul is, is saying here is very, very true. 
Uh, I can remember a couple of times, maybe, I don't know, three, four times where people had to be confronted. People had to be dealt with because they were hurting the church. They were taking advantage of people. There were spider webs of problems in people's lives because people had come into the church, some of them very, very well established, and had begun to hurt people, take advantage of them, deceive them at times, steal from them. I can remember one occasion on a Sunday morning, a very, very distant past. Uh, Nobody would know anybody in this room related to the story, but I will be careful. I can remember one time where there was an individual who walked into a service just like this. And there was quite a history with this individual. And this person had taken advantage of many, many people, had hurt many, many people, had destroyed, wrecked uh, many lives. And the person had been dealt with, uh, but they decided to step back into the service one Sunday morning. And I saw the individual, knew that person very, very well. And uh, just before the worship, confronted that individual privately and said, get out. Get out of the church. And the individual said, no, I'm not leaving. I said, if you don't leave, I will have you escorted out by the authorities. And he laughed. Within 15 minutes, the authorities arrived and escorted him out. Uh, The individual has not come back. And for this, we should be thankful because the individual was a wolf, a wolf that preyed on you and on me. And that individual needed to be confronted and dealt with. Uh, About one minute after the confrontation, I got up in front of the people to make announcements and welcome guests. (laughs) Welcome, everyone, to our church. We just got rid of a savage wolf. That wasn't the welcome, of course. But these things happen, and they're few and far between, but they do happen. And the pastor must assume that role of protector, standing in front of the sheep and attacking that wolf to get it out of the flock because it will destroy the flock. It is unconscionable, it is reprobate, and it will destroy the flock as a savage wolf will do. And whether the pastor likes it or not, it's part of the job description. Any of you want to be a pastor? We often, we often joke as a, as a pastoral team, and we say, you know, if you can do anything else and be happy, do it. But if God has called you, and you are certain that God has called you, you'll never be able to run from it. You might as well just do it. Uh, but you must, must be certain that you're called to that role, really as any other role, whether it's pastoring or whether it's uh, working out in the marketplace, same thing. Number four, the pastor as teacher. The pastor as teacher. And the myth here is that the pastor doesn't need to teach. Pastor, I just want to come to church on Sunday morning and make me feel good. You preach and sweat a little bit and you know, dress up nice, tell a few good jokes, make me feel good. I want to leave the service feeling good, pastor. But if you start teaching, I'm starting to sleep. Uh, Teaching is uh, uninteresting. Uh, You may be this kind of person. Ask yourself the question tomorrow morning, what did the pastor teach on? If you can't remember, you may be this kind of person. And you may need to challenge yourself to remember, what what did I learn yesterday? Or was it, you know, did I just want to be tickled? Did I just want to feel good? 
Uh, the reality is that teaching is important. It's a very serious matter to God. James chapter 3 verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Why will the teacher be judged? Well, because there's many people following the teacher, aren't there? I can tell you that pastors labor over the messages that we preach. Labor over them for hours and hours and hours. I'd say minimum 20 hours is spent on a message preparing it. Sometimes it goes into weeks and months, depending on what kind of message it is. I've labored over messages for months at a time. And because teaching is very, very important and people need to understand what the Word of God means for their daily lives. This is what the reformers of the 16th century gave their lives for. Did you know that back then, before the Reformation, you weren't even allowed to have a Bible? Do you know who forbade you to have a Bible? The church. Say, what? How could the church forbid me to have a Bible? Well, go back in time and you'll see why. They controlled everything. They controlled politics. They controlled the money, finances, the laws of the state, everything. And, of course, they wanted to control the people. The people could not even have the Word of God in their own language, much less understand it and apply it to their daily lives. No, that was the clergy's job. The clergy had to do that. And for this, the people spilled their very blood. So that you and I could have a copy of the Word of God and actually have it explained to us. This is what the Word of God means. Whereas the prophet proclaims the Scripture, the teacher explains the Scripture. I've heard people say, well, you know, some pastors are good at preaching, but they're bad at teaching. And some pastors are good at teaching, but bad at preaching. But if you look at the Scripture, the two are not mutually exclusive. So the idea of, of proclaiming the word means you must also explain it. And the idea of explaining the word means you must also proclaim it. The pastor does both. Aren't you glad that you have the Bible in your hand? Some of you, you're looking at it on your, on your smartphone. I believe that the reformers would smile greatly if they were able to see that you actually have it in the palm of your hand, a little electronic device, in multiple versions, in multiple languages, so that you can apply the Word of God to your daily life, the pastor as teacher. Finally, the pastor as equipper, as equipper. And the myth here is that uh, the pastor is the professional Christian. So the pastor does it all for me. And that's why we pay you, pastor. You, you know all those things. You're close to God. And so we pay you to do it all for us. So it looks a, a little bit like this. Pastor, I'm sick. Pastor, you should know I'm sick. Pastor, you shouldn't have to know what I'm, why I'm sick. Pastor, you should know where I am. Uh, whether I'm in the hospital or whether I'm at home, you should know that. Because you're the professional. You, you pray to God. God tells you. You have your little worker bees there in your office. And you should know these things. This is what you do. You're the pastor. Now, pastor, you need to come and you need to visit me today. As soon as God tells you that I'm sick. I know there's 800 people in the room, pastor. 
But you should know you're the pastor. That's why we pay you. Now, you should come and you should come to the hospital or my home, wherever I am. And you need to spend two hours with me, pastor. And you must pray for me and I must be healed. But you're the pastor. This is what we pay you for. You do this all day. You're the professional. You should know how to do it. That's what you went to Bible college or seminary for. You're close to God, pastor. Well, no, I don't need to tell you what made me sick and what I'm, why I'm sick. In the Bible, the, the guy with the dreams knew that. He knew the dream that the guy had dreamt before. So you should know, pastor. You're the pastor. Now, Pastor, I really thank you for coming and visiting me that day and praying for me. Eventually, I did get better. Not sure if it was anything of the prayer that you prayed, but eventually, Pastor, I did get better. So I thank you for that. Now, Pastor, I have another situation that I need to talk to you about. It's quite urgent. Now, Pastor, I want to get married. And there are three people who want to marry me. There's bachelor number one, bachelor number two, and bachelor number three. And they all look good to me, Pastor. So I need to know what the will of God is in the matter. No, I'm not bringing all three men to the office. I will come alone to the office. I'll describe the three men to you. And you must tell me what God's will is in the matter, Pastor. Now, Pastor, I really do thank you for meeting with me that day. I'm not sure if your advice did any good, but I made my decision. And I chose the person that you... You had recommended. Now, pastor, we want to get married next week. (laughs) No, pastor, we don't need any premarital counseling or advice at all. We're in love, pastor. We'll always be in love. So can you do the wedding next week? Now, pastor, we really do thank you for doing that wedding for us. We're very, very much in love. We're very, very happy together. Not sure if it's anything that you did, but we're just thankful anyway. But we have a new problem. It's quite urgent. We need to see you, Pastor, right away. Now, Pastor, we're broke. (laughs) My husband needs a job. I'm sure you must have picked the right guy. I hope you got the will of God. But he don't have a penny to his name. And neither do I. We're broke. And I need you to pray for my husband so that he'll get a job so that we're not broke anymore. You know how to do that. You're the pastor. Now, Pastor, we really do thank you for praying for us that day. Not sure if it's anything that you did, but eventually my husband did get a job. But we need to see you again. We have a very serious matter on our hands. This is the worst one yet. Now, Pastor, we had our first fight. Yes, I know we didn't want premarital counseling before the wedding, but you're the counselor. You should do it before and you should do it after. You're the pastor. Now, Pastor, we really do thank you for meeting with us that day. Not sure if it's anything that you said, but things got better. But we need to meet with you, Pastor. We need to discuss something with you. There's something very much on our hearts. The Lord has told us something for you, Pastor. Now, Pastor, we want you to know that the Lord has told us that you don't teach the meat of the Scripture in the church. We feel that God has told us that the meat is not being taught. Just the milk is being taught in the church. Yes, Pastor, we know you teach the Bible every Sunday, but it's not the meat of Scripture. We feel God told us that. And we feel like we're going to leave the church. 
Because we hear that the church over yonder teaches the meat. So we just wanted to bring that concern to your attention. A year passes. Now, Pastor, we're calling you on the phone today because we want to meet with you again. Yes, it's been a year. Can we talk to you? Now, Pastor, a year has passed. We went over to yonder church, but we found they didn't teach the meat there either. So we decided to come back here. We figured it was the lesser of the two evils. So we came back to the church last Sunday, Pastor. We were right there. And Pastor, you walked right by us. You did not shake our hand. You did not say hello to us after a year. And all that we have been through together, Pastor. You did not say hello to us on that Sunday. And we just feel like you don't care for us, Pastor. Yes, I know there's 800 adults there. But you should shake everybody's hand. You're the pastor. That's what we pay you for. Just a disclaimer. All of what I just said bears no resemblance to anyone in Evangel Pentecostal Church. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip. His people for works of service. To equip His people for work of, works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you know what the problem was in the story? The problem was not the people. The problem was the pastor. The pastor was not training and equipping. The pastor was trying to do everything himself or herself. The professional, the super Christian, the paid Christian. This is not what the scripture teaches at all. When the person called in sick, the pastor should have deployed a small army of trained volunteers who know how to go to hospitals, who know how to pray for people, who know how to visit them, who know how to follow up with them. When the pastor was asked to choose between bachelor number one, two, and three, the pastor should have had a way to try and teach the church how do you discern the will of God for your life and train the people to make the decisions themselves because they have the same Holy Spirit that the pastor does within them. When the husband needed a job, he should have went out and got one. He didn't need the pastor's help to pray for a job. He should have prayed for one and gone to job interviews. That's maturity at work. When they had their first fight, they should have known better. They should have had counseling before, but the pastor should have said, I will not marry you unless you have counseling before the wedding doesn't have to be done by me, the pastor, either. It can be done by people who I train and equip to do that work. When they said we're not getting the meat, there should have been things in place to teach people how to get the meat from every passage of Scripture that they read. It is the Word of God, is it not? If it is, there should be meat in every passage. What we need to do is teach people how to eat it, if I may be blunt. When the pastor didn't shake the person's hand, 
the person should have realized there's 800 people here. Can't shake everyone's hand. But there should be an army of volunteers who meet people, who greet people, who talk to people, who care for people, who get to know people whenever people gather. On the way in this morning, you received a, a color brochure of such people. And uh, I'll put it right up to the camera. I hope you can see it. And hopefully you got this. This is a very important uh, concept. Because this is the idea that there are people in this church who lead and who care under the authority of God. And trained by your pastors and your leaders to do the work of the ministry. There's more than just a handful of people. There's a small army that's being built of people who can visit you in your time of need. Of people who can pray for you and teach you. Because they're trained and equipped to do the work of the ministry. Familiarize yourself with the names and faces that you see there. You'll be seeing a lot more of them and you'll be seeing them a lot more often. Your homework for, for the week. Have you ever thanked a pastor? Or maybe a Sunday school teacher? Or a person in spiritual authority over you? Have you ever done that? Have you ever done it in writing? On your way in, you were given a little card with an envelope, and it just says on the inside of the card, thank you. And that's for you to thank somebody. Could be a pastor on the existing team that that you have. Could be a previous pastor uh, in this church if you've been around for any length of time. Uh, If it's one of those two, you can give them directly to us if you want to, if it's us. Or if you want us to send them off to Pastor So-and-So, from many, many years ago, we will endeavor to do that for you. Next week, we'll have a, have a box where you can bring those cards and we can try and track those people down. If it's somebody else, maybe someone from a different church that you attended or a Sunday school teacher or somebody who you know personally, put it in the mail. Thank them. Can I tell you, people like to be thanked. Christian people like to be thanked. It's not a sin to be thanked. This business of, well, don't thank me, I did it for the Lord. The Lord thanks me. That's only partially true. (laughs) Okay? People like to be thanked because they're human. Can I tell you, pastors sometimes get things in the mail that aren't too pleasant. And we we do file those things. Uh, There's a little round container next to my desk. It's metal. And I tend to put them in that file. Or I burn them or shred them or whatever. Just joking, just joking with you. But when, you, when, you, when a pastor receives something of encouragement, that can be very, very precious and very, very timely to the life of a pastor or a spiritual leader. And there are those in this church who do that on a regular basis. And I file those whenever I get those. I have years and years of them built up in a file uh, that's encouraging, that's inspiring, that's uplifting Uh, And it's so important. It's a ministry to be able to encourage and to thank people who've been been given charge uh, over your lives. Please stand with me. We're going to close the service in prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word today. Uh, We thank you that uh, such such simple concepts can speak to us so profoundly today. We thank you for the church that you have built, Lord, not a building, but a people, a people across the whole globe today, Uh, a community of faith expressed locally and 
expressed around the globe. And we do thank you for it's your idea. We thank you for how you've set it up. And God, we want to be faithful stewards as believers, as leaders, and everything in between. We want to be stewards of of the talents and the gifts that you have given to us. That this church would be one that attains maturity and unity and makes an impact even in our culture at large in this city. I pray for each one who is here today uh, who professes to follow Jesus. Lord, that uh, they would be out and about this week, wherever they are, in the marketplace, school, uh, wherever they are, O oh God, that the light of Jesus would truly be evident uh, in our lives, that you would be made attractive to people, and that people would call out to you and find you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you. Have a great, great Sunday. Remember to pick up your kids and get your parking tickets and all those things as you exit the building today. God bless you.